Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, Stephen Covey um, tells his readers, imagine this moment. What I'd like you to do is to close your eyes for a moment and just think about being at your own funeral. And different people get up from different aspects of your life, maybe a family member, a co-worker, a close friend, uh, someone a part of your church, whoever. And, and these people get up and they speak about your life. What would you want them to be saying? What, what, what would you want to be remembered for? What qualities, what characteristics, what achievements, what, what things would you want to be remembered for? I think it's a really, really good exercise to do every once in a while because if we keep thinking about what we want our life to be remembered for, it kind of guides our everyday life. And I want to, this morning, kind of ask you to think about one other person's opinion, the one who really, whose really opinion really matters the most, um, because he's the one who created you, he is the one that gifted you, and he knows fully, like your parents said, how much potential you really have, and that would be God. What would you want God to say about you as you come to the end of your life? Because this morning, we're jumping back into the story, and we're going to be looking for the next couple of weeks at the life of a man named David, who was actually uh, the greatest king of Israel. He was the king um, that really brought Israel together, and he was a man of great achievement, but he was also far from perfect and made some huge, huge mistakes, both in his personal life as well as his professional life as king. But God said this about him. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That God saw something in this imperfect man named David, something that said, he is someone after my own heart. I would love to be able to come to the end of my life and have God say about me, I was a person after my own heart. What is it that God saw in David? And and how can we bring our lives in line with that and to come to the end of our lives and have God say about us, you are someone after my own heart. What is it that, David, that God saw in David? We're going to pick up the story. If you want to uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 16. If you brought your copy of the story, it's page 145 in your book. Um, and this is what happened. Let me give you a little bit of the background. Saul has been king over Israel. He's the first king that Israel had. But his constant disobedience to God and doing things God's way and choosing instead to do them his own way, God finally gave up on Saul. He said, I'm done with him. He's not going to be king any longer. And the next king is not even going to come from his lineage. I'm going to start something completely new. So he called the prophet Samuel to go and anoint a new king in the town of Bethlehem. So in 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 4, is where we pick up the story. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they had arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab 
and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Now Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. People look at the outward appearance. God said, but I look at the heart. So the question before us this morning is, what is it that God saw in David long before anybody else saw it, long before maybe even David himself saw it? What was the raw material? What was the potential that God saw in David's heart? And, and how did that play itself out into his life? That God would at the end of his life say, he was a man after my own heart. How do you develop that kind of a heart for God? And, and I'm not talking about earning your way into heaven or somehow um, deserving God's, God's presence in your life. That, that all comes to us by his grace. But living in grace, how do we become the fulfillment of all that God intended for us to be? What is the raw material that God wants to see in us and develop in us? And I think there's some things when we look at the life of David, some things that really stand out and come with some of the experiences that actually developed that potential in him. And of course, the most famous of them is his standing before Goliath. And it has to do with a confidence. It's developing a confidence in God that'll take on life's toughest challenges. That's the next time we see David. After he's been anointed there by Samuel, and he's the, the next in line to be king. Um, the next we hear of him comes when there is this battle going on between the Philistine army and the Israelite army. And they're kind of camped on two sides of this valley. And they have a champion named Goliath. He is nine feet tall. And, and every day, Goliath comes out in front of the nation of Israel. And he says, we don't even need to fight the battle. You just send out one guy, and we'll just fight one-on-one. -on -one, and then we'll see who's going to win this battle. And day after day, that challenge comes out. And day after day, there's no one in the whole army of Israel that'll accept the challenge. Not Saul the king, no one else. And that's where David comes into the picture. And here's the thing. I think what God wants to do in each of our lives is develop a confidence in him that'll be able to take on whatever challenges are. You may not ever in your life face a nine-foot-tall giant. But the chances are, you have faced obstacles in your life that are beyond your ability, beyond your strength. In fact, you might be here this morning and you would say, you know, there's this kind of giant in my life. It might be an addiction or a compulsive behavior. It might be a struggle. It might be a financial challenge. It might be something. But there is this big thing in your life right now and you can't see any way that you're going to be able to overcome this, this situation. And, and the thing is, we don't want that in our lives. We would love to live problem-free lives we, we mostly, for the most part, we tend to gravitate finding the le le least path of resistance. We want easy, clean, problem-free living, comfortable as much as we can. Whatever we can do, we want to avoid. In fact, think about this. What is the most popular brand of chairs sold in America today? What's it called? The Lazy Boy. Yeah. 
lazy boy. Lay, they, they emphasize it twice. Lazy boy, okay? Not the risky boy or the difficult T boy. It's the lazy boy. We want to live problem-free lives. And yet, the truth of the matter is, we only grow and develop and gain strength and confidence through difficulties. That's the way it happens. We would prefer not to have those, but you will never become the person God designed you to be if you just spend your life avoiding risk. Because there is something that happens. In fact, the truth of the matter is, you can't live a safe life. Because some giants you take on willingly, most of them come to you unexpectedly. But they're going to come. And, and you can try to live a safe, problem-free life and, and still not be safe. Ellen Gruber wrote this about this. She said, she wrote, you can, have, you, can live, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from the nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on necessities, and save all you can, and you can still break your neck in the bathtub, and it'll serve you right. <laughs> Because God wired us up in such a way as that we only grow and we only fully develop when we are faced with challenges. And David comes out to the battlefield. He is not in the army, by the way. All of his brothers are. The only reason he shows up one day is his dad sent him out with lunch for his brothers out on the battlefield. And he goes up about the time that Goliath comes out and makes this challenge. And David stands there and he listens to what Goliath has to say. And he turns and looks at the army of Israel and nobody responds. And this is what he says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's some pretty bold statement there. Now, in fact, I talked about someone came up to me after the last service and said, no, he was just a teenager. <laughs> That's what teenagers do. You know? they, just, they think they know everything. They can do anything. This is a bold statement. All these army soldiers, they're all in battle array. No one's willing to stop. And David says, I'll do it. I'll take this guy on. Who does he think he is? Now, notice what he says. It's not just, I'm going to do this in my own strength. It's, he's, he does this because he's the Philistine that defies the army of the living God. So here's the principle. You will only grow and develop to the person God intended you to be by facing the challenges that he puts in your life. And whatever that giant might be for you this morning, whatever that difficulty, that tough challenge, whatever it might be, God has put that into your life to give you an opportunity to grow. And develop and become. Now, here's the thing about David. This was not the first time he'd encountered a difficulty. And this is kind of goes along with that principle. That God uses those difficulties in your life to constantly grow you. And you build upon and grow upon each difficulty as you go along. Because it makes you stronger for whatever comes next. When David says, I'll stand up to him, I'll take them on. They said, no, no, who are you? You're just a 16-year-old kid. What do you think? We're professional shoulders, shoulders, soldiers here. Um, who do you think you are? He says, hey, I'll take them on. In fact, this is what he said. He says, listen, I've got experience in taking on tough problems. I mean, I, I, I took care of my dad's sheep. And every once in a while, a lion or a bear would come and try and take the sheep. And I'd stand up to them. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I just club it to death. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned. There's a strength that's greater than me. 
I'm not going to cower to any giant. See, the experiences that God brings you through are all meant to grow you and develop you and make you even stronger. So they finally say, okay, fine, we'll let you do it, but we can't send you out there unprepared. So we're going to give you that. In fact, King Saul himself gives him his armor, puts on the helmet, puts on the, all the equipment, the, she, the shield and the sword and the whole thing. David tries them on, and he can't even move in them. He, he just can't move. And so he says, I can't go out in these. I'm not used to them. This isn't me. And, and here's another thing with that. Whatever difficulty, whatever strong um, difficult problem that you're facing right now, your problem's not going to look like anybody else's. And the solution to that problem is not going to be the same as anybody else's. There's no one size fits all for taking on giants. You can learn from the experiences of others. But God is going to develop and shape you in a way that fits you. So he goes out to battle and he does what he's familiar with, with what God has equipped him with in the past, a sling and a couple of stones. And he goes out to the Goliath, and he says to him this, You come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. Today, and catch this, here's a good line for you next time you face a giant. Today, the Lord will conquer you. I'm not coming out here in my own strength coming out here in the name of the Lord. And here's the deal. There are some giants that we take on readily and on purpose, and there's a lot of them that get thrust upon us just by life. But whatever giant you ever face, God is greater and bigger and stronger, and he is with you. And that confidence in God and his power and strength in your life is only going to be coming to you as you face up to the challenges that come your way. And I think that's one of the things that God used to develop this heart for God that David had. There's another one. Takes, a little bit place, takes place a little bit later in David's life. Kind of fast forward about 10 years to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And it has to do with this idea of endurance. Some things we take on, and sometimes faith takes great boldness and daring. But sometimes, sometimes faith is just lasting under whatever you're going through. You fast forward these 10 years, and of course, you can imagine David's gotten a little popular in town. He stood up to Goliath. In fact, he becomes a part of the army, and he becomes a great warrior as a part of the Israelite army. And in fact, the songs that are being sung about him as they come back from battle, the song kind of goes like this. Saul, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. You can imagine, that did not go over very well with King Saul. And this jealousy starts to build in him to the point where he decides he's got to eliminate this threat to his throne. He's still the king. David was anointed 10 years beforehand. He's still the king, though. And he says, I got to eliminate the competition. So he actually puts out a bounty on David's life. He actually goes out and chases after him. And David, with just a small band of followers, solid supporters, have to flee out into the wilderness. And they spend years out in the wilderness just running from King Saul. And every time he gets found out, they have to move somewhere else. Because Saul is out to kill him. And not just by himself. He comes with his elite troop of 3,000 soldiers. And there's this little incident that happens in all of that. They're out in the wilderness. And, and let, I'll read it for, to you. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 2. 
It says, so Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. In the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Yes, that's in the Bible. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Perfect opportunity. This king has been chasing you for years. We have fled from place to place to place, and now we're hiding in this cave, and Saul has come in, and he's all alone. This is your opportunity. He's taken off his, his sword. He's put down his shield. He's taken off his warrior robe, and he's just over there relieving himself. Now, this has got to be a God thing. I mean, how else could this circumstances come about? This has got to be. God has put him into your hands. Now's your chance to, to undo all this wrong and all this, uh, all this chasing that's been going on. Now's your chance to take over. You've been anointed. I mean, after all, how long does God expect you to wait? David says, no. No, can't do it. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. Here's the principle. In God's economy, the end never justifies the means. Never. We can rationalize it, but the end never justifies the means because the means are part of what God's using to develop your life. And one thing David understood was to take matters into his own hands would be to take matters out of God's hands. And you don't want to end up on the wrong side of God. <laughs> and that's what he said. God put him in place. And who, if God has put him in place, it's not my place to take him out of, out of place. When God wants him out of place, God's going to take care of that. So what he does, actually, is he goes over, over to the side, finds the robe, and cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And Saul finishes his business and he gets all dressed up and he gets back out and goes back out to the army outside the cave. And as he goes outside the cave, David stands at the mouth of the cave, holds up this piece of the robe, and he says, he says these words, perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. Here's what he understood. If I short circuit what God's doing, it's going to short-circuit God's work in my own life. If I do this thing, that's going to go to the heart of who I am. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a per that person. More important than you getting out of whatever circumstances you're in right now, more important than that is what God is trying to do in you through those circumstances. And that's the thing that David understood. If I did this thing, oh yeah, I would be king. My problems would be over in terms of Saul and all of the, his armies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that would work out okay. But it would destroy the person God made me to be. I can't do that. I can't do that. See, God works sometimes through the giants that we face. Sometimes it's through the long, drawn-out endurance 
of what you're going through. And maybe you're not facing a huge giant. Maybe it's just a little thing, but it has dragged on for a long time, and it's over and over again. It just never seems to end. And you're saying, God, how much do you expect me to take of this? I mean, when do I get relief? When, God, why don't you change the circumstance? And I think part of it is what God is doing through that process is molding and shaping you into the person he designed you to be. And to take matters into your own hands, to short-circuit that process, would begin to destroy the work that God's trying to do in you. So sometimes faith is simply just waiting for God's timing. But there's one other thing. And I think this is the key to all of David's life. That he had developed a passion for God that worshipped wholeheartedly no matter what. Fast, Fast forward another 10 years... Saul has now died. In fact, his whole family line has died, pretty much. And David has now become king of Israel. And they are still fighting and warring against the Philistines. The Philistines keep attacking, and they keep going out there. And on one occasion, they actually go out to battle, and they take with them the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? That's what Indiana Jones was looking for. Remember that? Okay. It was was so important in Israel because it represented God's presence. And so they thought they were having trouble with, they figured if we just take God in a box with us, you know, then then we'll overcome. And of course, they lost that battle because they were trying to use God as their own little magic token, and they lost the battle. And not only that, they lost the ark. The Philistines captured it. And now they're without everything. So after a time of repentance, Israel finally goes back out to battle one more time against the Philistines. Philistines. This time they win the battle, and they retrieve the ark of the covenant. And a little bit later, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem where it belongs, back to the temple where it belongs. And there is great celebration. There's shouting, there's dancing, there's singing, there's all this. There's a huge parade. And in the front of the parade is King David. And this is what it says about him. That David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouts of joy. That sounds pretty cool. Anybody know what a linen ephod is? It's basically underwear. That's what it is. That's what it was. He, he was so exuberant in his worship of God that he just kind of got, I don't know why, he maybe got overheated, whatever it was. He just started you know, stripping down clothes, and before you knew it, he was down into his underwear. <laughs> and he's leading the parade, the king of Israel, leading the parade in his underwear, dancing and singing and jumping all over the place. And he gets home that night, and his wife says to him, oh, that was quite a show. Yeah, how dignified you looked out there, King David. Yeah, that was quite a show, all right. Yeah, I bet those servant girls, they really love seeing you in your underwear. That was pretty cool. And David says to her these words, I will celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this. I don't know what he had in mind. But I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. And what that says about David is I think that the key that carried him all the way through all those things, way back when he was a shepherd, after he had been anointed, when he stood before Goliath, when he's out in the wilderness, there was this constant sense that God is with me. And if God is with me, no matter what the circumstances might be, I'm going to worship him, I'm going to celebrate him, and when I get the chance to do it wholeheartedly like this, I'm not holding anything back. That was the key. In fact, if you look, most of the book of Psalms is written by David. 
And some of them were written through hard times, and some of them were written through times of celebration, but they are all reflections of this heart after God, this heart of worship to believe no matter what my circumstances, God is with me, and if God is with me, then nothing else matters. And I will celebrate no matter how foolish it looks. A little while ago, we, uh, when we first got the, um, our uh, Northgate Live Worship CD, and, and I had it in my car, and I've got it cranked up. And right in the car is kind of like being in the shower. You can sing at the top of your lungs, and it sounds great, and nobody else notices. And so I've got the songs cranked up, and I'm just singing along. And I'm just, I mean, I've got, I've, this is my church. Look at it. Oh, this is great music. It's like my favorite CD. I'm listening to the music. I just, I've got tears coming down my eyes, and I'm just singing out loud. And I pull up to the red light, and I look over, and this guy in the other car is looking at me like, And I wanted to turn to him and say, I will look even more foolish than this. Because <laughs> there is something that when you know that God is with you, no matter what the circumstances, there's reason to rejoice. There is strength. There is power. And I think at the very heart of whatever else David went through, all of his ups and downs, the next week we're going to look at some of the serious mistakes that he made. The one thing that he never lost sight of that his life was in God, and God's power and God's strength was in him. And it didn't matter what. And so, all the way back when he was a 16-year-old shepherd, he wrote these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He could, when he is being chased by the king and living in a cave, write these words, Psalm 57, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. Right now I'm hiding in a cave, but really it's in you that I take refuge. He had a heart for God that developed and played itself out in all these different aspects of his life. And I think for us to be able to come to an end of our life and say, and have God say of us, ask somebody after my own heart. It's a heart that's willing to trust no matter what. It's one of my last psalms I want to read. It's one of my favorites. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. So let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.